Baruch haba b'shem Adonai. May we soon see the return of our King, Mashiach Yeshua, on the clouds of glory, gathering in the dispersed of Yisrael from the four corners of the earth with the rebuilding of the Beit HaMikdash, the one from Shemaim. Amen. You know, that's the place he said he's going away to prepare for us. So, as soon as that's done, he's going to come get us, just like any good husband would do. So, Baruch Hashem. Well, this week, it's actually Parsha Mishpatim, so I'm going to go ahead and do a Garrett Rome, chapter 6, because chapter 6 is about the Mishpatim. You know, this week we talk about the, the bond servants, because you realize when it talks about purchasing a slave and acquiring a slave for yourself in the Torah, to be specific, in chapter 21 of the book of Exodus, a.k.a. Shemot, which is really the real name, but we digress. You realize that word slave is actually a poor translation because the word is actually evid. You know, when you really look at uh, this chapter of chapter 21. So I have my trusty Targum Uncolos over here. I call him Uncle OG. And I want to just read from this for a moment. So if we go to chapter 21, let's get the, the real deal, holy feel, as we would say. So verse 1, it says, Ve'ele ha-mishpatim asher tasim lifnehem. And these are the laws that you shall arrange before them. There's a lot of commentary just on that one verse, but that's not what we're looking at right now. So pretend like you don't see anything. It says, Ki tikne evid ivri. Okay, evid. When you look at that word evid, it literally is the word for servant. So it says, if you buy an Israelite servant, then it goes on to say, Shesh Shanaim Ya'avod U Vash Vi'it Yetse Le Khafshi Chinam. And it says, he shall work for six years. And in the seventh year, he shall go out as a freed man without charge. Because one of the things that we have to know is the reason a person would be in this disposition is because they stole something. They committed some crime that they could not pay for the repercussions for. So they had to be sold by the court as a slave to make restitution. And because of their tenure as a servant, they 
end up working off the debts. If you've heard of the story of Jacob and Laban in the book of Genesis, that will be like the best picture of purchasing. And the way that Jacob worked for Laban is basically the way a servant would work for his master. And so Jacob was working for a wife. And so the servants here would be working for whatever crime they committed. And it's important to note those those people who sit in the seat of Moses. Literally, I said people because, you know, there are 70 plus one that sit in that seat and they're called the Sanhedrin. And these are the people that Mashiach Yeshua told us that we should do what they say, but don't do what they do. Because during that time that the Sanhedrin was in operation, the Sanhedrin was controlled predominantly by Sadducees. Sadducees is a very, very important word because it means people who are solo scriptura, word of God only, no rabbinic stuff, no Jewish stuff. Just like if it's not written in the Bible, then we don't do it. And that creates a whole lot of problems because when it says keep and guard the Shabbat, I mean, what does that mean? It's like, come here, Shabbat. I want to keep and guard you. It's like, okay, you can't really do that. So like, what does it mean to keep and what does it mean to guard? Well, you got to get into the rabbinic stuff, the Pharisee stuff. And anyway, so the people who were running the Sanhedrin that we're supposed to listen to what they say, but don't do what they do because the Sanhedrin as um, Sadducees, they would be able to say some really beautiful things. Why? Because they would quote scripture. And they'd be like, oh, yeah, I can agree with that. I can get down with that. Keeping guard of Shabbat. Okay, cool. Yeah. Love your neighbors. You love yourself. Oh, man, come on. I got you. But then they go off and do things that don't line up with what they said. But where have we seen this before? Hmm. It's called being a human that is unrefined. Uh, and so obviously those of us who are striving in righteousness, straining and pressing towards the high mark, as Shaul Hashliach, the distinguished gentleman, would say. Uh, you know, those of us who are doing that, uh, obviously that is Bezrat Hashem, with the help of Hashem, a very, very rare circumstance that we would not match our words. So anyway, but just to go on and talk about this servant and why they go out without charge because they work off a debt. So I want to key in on servant and freedman uh, just for the moment. And then we're going to go ahead and jump over to chapter six and the letter, the Agarit to Rome. So when we look at this word for servant, it's Evid. It's three Hebrew letters. It's Ayn, Bet, Dalit. Ayn represents the eyes. Bet represents the house. The Dalit represents the door. So the eyes of the house where the door is. Okay, so you get kind of this picture where you're looking at the door of the house. You're looking at this entry point. So a servant would be a person who sees the entry into the house in which they are serving. And what goes on the entrance of a house, especially a Jewish house, the word of God, a.k.a. the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. There's a whole section of the Torah called the Shema, which means to hear and obey. 
comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6. So you write that down on a scroll and you put that on your doorpost. Now, there are specific passages. It's not just like, okay, all of Deuteronomy 6 is on this scroll and it's in this mezuzah. But there are passages from there and those are on the actual scroll, which is encased in some sort of... uh, like some people have like a shofar, some people have like a jar of some sort, but it's a handcrafted piece that fits this scroll inside of it. And you attach it to your doorpost, like the way Mashiach was attached to the crucifixion stake because the crucifixion stake was a doorpost. It was an entry point And our eyes have to look at that door, that entry point into the house of God, which is us being a servant. So back to all of that, right? So we're looking at the word of God. We're looking at the son of God being offered for us and the whole death, burial and power of the resurrection to uphold such word. Because you realize if you're trying to uphold the word of God without experiencing the resurrection or any form of redemption um, under, I mean, on top of your repentance, uh, then you're you need to stop what you're doing and and reconsider life for a moment. Return to Messiah Yeshua. Start from there, kind of thing. So anyway, uh, this servant, right? So that's what they do. They they get this this entry point, and this is the way that they begin to uphold divine service and devotion. So the term Evid denotes that you're you belong to God. So if you belong to God, you're called an Evid. You're literally God's Evid. You're God's servant. Most of us would know, hopefully, uh, that in the writings to the Corinthians by Shaul Hashliak, he said, don't you know you were bought with a price? So we've been bought. We've been purchased as an Evid. So as we're looking here in Shemot, when it says, if you purchase. We need to understand that we're purchasing somebody else's Evid, and that's why we only get six years. Now, obviously, later on, it's going to go into this whole thing where it's the seventh year and the person doesn't want to leave. And it's like, take them to the doorpost, pierce their ear. They get to stay with you uh, forever. Well, until the Jubilee, because that's literally how it's worded. It's like they stay with you forever. It's like, oh, forever, huh? They're your your servant forever, even though they belong to Hashem. It's like, yes, until the Jubilee, you know, the acceptable year of the Lord's favor, that kind of thing. So after seven cycles of seven, which would be the 50th year, because you go through the 49 and then that 50th year is called a Jubilee. So, yes, your Jubilee year is actually going to be the second uh, in a uh consecutive uh, sequence of Shabbat because you have a whole seventh year where you don't do any work in the land. And then you have that following year, which would be the 50th year. Uh, So the, cause the 49th year would be the end of a seven cycle, a cycle of seven, because you count seven years. The seventh year is always a Shemitah, a sabbatical year or to be uh, kind of Yiddishy, mix your English and Hebrew, uh, as well as be Yiddish, uh, Shabbatical year. So that would be the 49, and then the 50 is like, okay, Jubilee. So it's like an extra little thing there for us. So 
when you look at that, that's when that person who had their ear pierced, they really go free and they can't do a thing about it, which just makes it so much more powerful when Mashiach reads that passage of the prophet Yeshiyahu, which is Isaiah. And he says that I've come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He's like, I'm coming to proclaim a jubilee right now. I'm setting all slaves free. Anybody who's in bondage because you should all belong to Hashem because he created you. Most people don't think that because they've come from different cultures and backgrounds of different faiths. That would teach them otherwise. But regardless of your culture, regardless of your faith, regardless of your background, regardless of your family history, you are God's servant because he created you that way. We were all created for divine service to Hashem. That's why all men, like literally every tribe, every tongue, every nation shall come and bless Hashem. Every knee will bow, every tongue shall confess. All that kind of beautiful stuff. So we're all slaves, whether we want to like it or not. And so Mashiach saying, okay, we're going in, we're in the Jubilee and uh, I'm here to set everybody free. And now until he returns, we have this choice in front of us. Are we truly going to be free people or are we going to stay in bondage and pretend like it's not the Jubilee and that we can somehow be, get to stay in our slavery, like literally our sin, because sin, by the way, is a master if you let it be. And so this is why if you're obedient to sin, then you're literally placing yourself underneath servitude of that master, which ultimately the master of sin is death. That's why the wages of sin, the payment for sin, literally what you work for when you serve sin is death. And uh, Baruch Hashem, may we all be free from it and walk in the freedom that Mashiach has given us. The only thing is we have to submit ourselves to a new master, which means we convert. Because whenever you get a slave, especially if they weren't Jewish, and especially if you're um, being sold into slavery to sin uh, through your flesh and, and all your choices in life that have been oh so contrary to the will of God. Um, if that's going on, you're the only way to get out of that is you're going to have to convert because uh, otherwise... You're just going to kind of be like the person who runs away and gets lost in the forest and the dogs will find you. So will the master's other servant hands and they will drag you back and they will kill you. Or, I mean, I mean, I don't know. Hopefully they don't kill you. But I mean, ultimately, I mean, that's that's really the only option because, I mean, you ran away. What's to stop you from doing it again? And uh, the slavery that we've heard of in history uh, especially over here in America, um, you know, silver, civil war stuff back before that, even that, uh, you know, that's not the proper version of slavery where they whipped people and beat them. You know, if you read Parsha Mishpatim, you'll learn that you're liable for any damages that happened to that slave. And again, you only have them for six years. So at the end of six years, you have to pack them up with treasures and and valuables so that they can be reestablished into society like they get to go free so you know obviously that wasn't practiced and so all of this kind of stuff but anyway 
all the point to say that we're already somebody's servant. So when you're purchasing a servant, um, you need to know pr- primarily you belong to Hashem, regardless of your your history, your bloodline and all that kind of stuff. Because most people think, oh, Jews is a if you're Jewish, it's only because your mother's Jewish or your great, 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 great grandmother was Jewish or something like that. And you have Jewish blood in your family. That's not the only thing that makes you Jewish. I mean, that's great. And thumbs up and, you know, kosher high fives uh, to the appropriate peoples because we practice Shomer Nagia. But uh, yeah, so but that's not what we're really a Jew is, because if it's really a bloodline, then we're going to have a problem with Abraham, because what kind of blood did Abraham have before he was a Jew? Because he was not born Jewish, but he was reborn Jewish, which is pretty much what everybody is supposed to be who follows Mashiach. Yeshua, that is. If you follow some other Mashiach, then, uh, yeah, you're wasting your time, first of all. But uh, to be nice, uh, unless those people are being real and honest with themselves, they are not Mashiach because Mashiach is only one person who is not a man. Okay? He is divine. He is before creation. He's the firstborn of all creation. I'll snap. I'm quoting another letter again. But anyway, he's all that wonderful stuff. And so it's important to know who's your Mashiach and, you know, what's the what's the essence. And uh, if they're a human, just like you and I, and you're proclaiming them Mashiach and yet they got sick and they died. uh, That's a problem. Mashiach, Yeshua, healed sick people and raised dead people. So say la. So anyway, so I want to read the footnote. It says. The verse discussing a thief who does not have money or sleek out. The verse is so in Shemot, where we read about buying an Israelite servant. This is just going to back up what I've just discussed. So just so you have a source, this is Targum Ankelos, a.k.a. Uncle OG, uh, dropping some Rashi and dropping some Nefesh Hager, some Dik Duke. D-I-K-D-U-K-E-I, Torah, Dikduke Torah, and Beure Ankelos. So all of those different sources, if you come across them, purchase them and read them. Okay, anyway, so it says this verse is discussing a thief who does not have money to pay for what he stole. Think about this verse, because Shaul says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather get a job. Think about that. He's you need to be a servant because you need to pay back what you owe. OK, and uh, if it's too much for you to pay for, then uh, you're going to have to submit yourself to servitude. However, it's important to know you can't uh, do that today any anyway, because we don't have a temple, which means we don't have a Sanhedrin, um, because having a Sanhedrin without a temple, that's not possible. So there's all that to take in consideration. But OK. Uh, so yeah, you just need to know that the thief no longer steal, but rather get a job that, that applies to the situation. It gives you a little, a little more insight. It says the bait Dean. See, this is why you have to have a Sanhedrin. They're called the bait Dean, the house of judgment, the leaders, the judges, the rulers, the people who can help interpret the law appropriately it says the bait Dean sells him. Important to note, we don't have a Beit Din today. 
This is why any Jewish halakhic source that is truly true to its intention will always at the end of everything that it discusses will say, but see your rabbi, you know, for further details and information of how to do this. So everybody gets and understands that you have to have your own rabbi, because if you try to just go by halakha, um, just different customs and things to follow that exist within the realm and the sphere and the environment of Judaism today. If it's just out there, you know, you go read some uh, Shulchan Aruch, you go read some uh, Mishnah, and you go read some, you know, uh, whatever website or whatever blog or uh, whatever, you know, YouTube video of some sort that you read or listen to. It always comes back to your rabbi and your rabbi doesn't have carte blanche uh, authority to just go make up stuff and be like whatever, but to literally help you work through that information. And because a rabbi understands the the uh, effort and the efficiency that goes into bringing forth halakha or uh, bringing forth ways in which to uphold the commandments. So this is why we do need a rabbi, contrary to popular belief. There is a wonderful video from the P Judaism by I don't know who that guy is uh, who did it, but it was called Call No Man Rabbi. So the P Judaism on YouTube brought down lots of sources and spoke about why Mashiach said Call No Man Rabbi. So anyway, in case that's a stumbling block for you after what I just said, you might want to check that out. Anyway, uh, so yeah, YouTube, Lapid Judaism, Call No Man Rabbi. All right. So the Beit Dean sells this servant to raise money to repay the theft. And it says the law of someone who chooses to sell himself as a servant is taught in Vayikra 2539. That is Leviticus chapter 2539. Because you can sell yourself into slavery as well. Which is really what most of us do when we sin. So... You know, we got to stop selling ourselves. Don't sell yourself short. Okay. From the beginning of Shemot until here, from the beginning of Exodus until this point, 20 some chapters in, Ankalos translated the word Ivri, which is the word Hebrew, as Yehudi, which is the word Jew. So that if you ever see the word Hebrew, it's also the same as the word Jew. So Ivri and Yehudi are synonymous. So people go, oh, yeah, you wanted him Hebrew, right? Yeah, I'm a Hebrew. Say, like, okay, cool, because I thought you were Jewish. And it's like, yeah, it's the same thing. No, it's not. Boy, if you want to see somebody turn red and just freak out, just tell them you're a Hebrew first. And then be like, yeah, so I'm Jewish. And then they'll, they'll just freak out like all the way. But anyway, Angelos master of language and stuff like Aramaic Hebrew get you some. He says all the way up until now, it's been translated Ivri as Jew. So from here, from this point until the end of Shemot, the word Ivri is found only in the context of an Evid Ivri, a Jewish servant. So in other words, 
and Ivory, instead of just being a Jew, now it's going to translate to being a Jewish servant. And it says, and Ankelos consistently translates Avda Bar Yisrael, an Israelite servant, literally a servant who is a son of Israel. So if you're any kind of servant whatsoever, because uh, literally, remember, we were bought with the price and stuff. If you if you call yourself a servant of God, a servant of Hashem, you want to uphold his word and live for him and, you know, be all on fire and stuff, be filled with the Holy Ghost and all that, then you're called a son of Israel. But anyway, says thus is this is done to make it absolutely clear that this servant is himself Jewish. Wow. The only reason this distinction is made is so that you know this person is Jewish. Because you can have an Evid, but that doesn't mean that they're necessarily Jewish. But if you have an Evid Ivory, then they're Jewish and they're considered a son of Israel. And it's important to note the word Ivory means one who has crossed over, one who has converted, one who has become a new creation, one who is born again. Anyway, thought you should know that. And it says, not a Canaanite slave who is owned by a Jew, which is how it might have been understood. Had Ankelos translated Avda Yehudai as Evid Ivri, or if he translated Evid Ivri as Avda Yehudai, and it says all those different sources I mentioned earlier. Now, freedom, freed man. Literally, Chorin. So, Ben Chorin. This literally means a son who is free. Think about when Mashiach says, He whom the son sets free is free indeed. And be a son of the free woman, not a son of the slave woman. Galatians chapter 4 stuff. Okay, check this out. Keep those in the back of your mind. Rashi interprets the word Chafshi to mean freedom. So Chafshi is the word Ben-Chorin from the Aramaic. Literally, it says Levar, which is another way to say son. Bar and Ben are kind of interchangeable. Okay, so the the one who is free, Chafshi. This is, wow, like amazing. Okay, I'm just looking at the word. I'm just blowing my mind. Okay, but anyway, I'll get back to podcasting because that's what I'm doing. Rashi interprets the Hebrew word chafshi to mean freedom. In the seventh year, the servant goes out to freedom. So literally a son of seven. There's this understanding that there is a word called bat sheva, which is Bathsheba, daughter of seven. But a person who's set free from slavery is called a ben sheva. So anyway, a daughter is always free. But uh, I mean... As far as the word Batsheva, because it literally means daughter of the Shekinah. What you think about that with uh, David and Batsheva and how he gave birth to the son of David, which was Shlomo, which was Solomon, the king to whom peace belongs, and how he set up basically a quasi-Messianic era, like where the whole world experienced peace. And there was no warring and the temple was built and everybody was coming to Jerusalem and all that kind of stuff. It's because his father was Melech Israel, which literally meant son of God, 
because that's what that means in Hebrew. Melech Israel and Ben Elohim are the same thing. Then you have the fact that you have Bathsheba, who's considered to be the daughter of the Shekinah. So, yes, we've gone all the way up to the level of Sod as far as the interpretation. So when you have the son of God and the daughter of the Shekinah come together, they give birth to the son of David, who became king of the entire world. And that was just ridiculous. OK. So anyway, so you have this person, Habshi, they're free in the seventh year. Servant goes out, says, according to Ankelos. Though Khafshi refers to the servant's status. So this is a status. It says in the seventh year, he stops being a servant and goes out as a freeman. So there is a there is a title change, a name change, if you will. So no longer are you considered to be a servant. You're now free. So now go to Galatians 5 because we're going out of slavery into freedom because that's what Galatians 4 is all about. Now Galatians 5. Now it is for freedom that Mashiach has set us free. He's already advanced us to the seventh year. Now you need to be a freed person. That's your status. You're now considered free, which means there's a whole identity change. There's a whole mind shift. You now don't have a human master over you. Your master is Hashem and you follow and do what he says and keep out of jail. OK, like don't don't do stuff that puts you back in slavery, which would be sin. And what is sin? Sin is lawlessness. Uh, you can learn that from the writings of Yochanan, John uh, in his letters. He writes plenty of them. So no one really talks about John's letters because they're too busy talking about Paul's letters. But anyway. Kepha wrote a letter. Peter, he wrote letters, too. So why don't we talk about that? And why why not talk about the brother who slept in the same bedroom as the Mashiach for crying out loud? Thirty three years. I mean, come on. At least 30 of them, they slept in the same room or the same house, you know, and that is Yaakov, like literally the brother of Yeshua. And not to mention another little brother of Yeshua, Yehuda. So you got Jacob, who's Yaakov, James. Then you got Judah, Jude, Yehuda. Okay, it's all the same thing. So for layman's English terms, that would be James and Jude. Those are both brothers who grew up in the same house as Mashiach, probably slept in the same bed. Or at least they shared the same sukkah. Sukkah! Sukkah, this, the booth from Sukkot, and uh, all sorts of stuff. Lots of Shabbats together, lots of holidays, Yom Tovs together. So yeah, and no time did they celebrate a holiday that featured a tree that had gifts underneath it that you had to bend down to the tree to get. Or there was never a holiday about a hopping bunny who gave chocolate eggs to everybody and said, it's resurrection time. You know, none of that ever happened. And never was there a winged baby with a diaper on shooting arrows at people saying, don't you want to be in love today? It's like, well, if you uh, observe the Torah, you can be in love today. So, but anyway, I digress. I just want to point out some of these holidays that are very, very predominant in commercialism that apparently the church thinks are church holidays, which is kind of interesting because church 
holidays seem to follow the commercial holidays. So that's kind of interesting that there's really not a difference between the commercialism and the churchism. So, hmm. Anyway, just something to make you scratch your head. At least I'm scratching my head because I'm like, how does that even compute? Anyway, so uh, yeah, there's a status change and we need to know what a chaf sheet is and that we need to really like get that. So, all right. So, uh, yeah, so that's going to do it for that little introduction on the passage of Shemot. So this will be an introductory clip to this podcast because there are some things that I just wanted to read from the Midrash, uh, the Jewish commentary on this parsha. I'm going to go now to the Little Red Book, as I like to call it, of uh, the Midrash says, picking up on page 203, it says the mitzvah concerning the Hebrew servant was chosen to be the first one of Parsha Mishpatim. The Bnei Yisrael were liberated from Egypt in order to become Hashem's servants. Because remember, Hashem purchased us. And something that's important to note, I'm digressing from this text, that when we are serving Hashem, when we're considered to be in bondage to Hashem, Hashem's bondage is actually freedom, which is why Shaul would say it is for freedom that Mashiach has set us free, because literally he set us free from Egypt, which is the same thing as sin, slavery and death to become God's slaves who are slaves to righteousness, life, blessing, peace, goodness, kindness, light, truth, blessing. I mean, I don't know what else you want to put there. So that's literally the bondage that we become in because people go, oh, I can't believe you want to be under the word of God and you want to be all bondage to that Torah thing. And it's like, oh, you mean you don't want me to be a person who's enslaved to freedom? Like, oh, freedom is so oppressive. Oh, my gosh. Think about it. People who live in America is slavery uh, is I mean, is uh, freedom really uh, any kind of slave mentality going on? Servant? mentality are you really feeling oppressed by your freedom like you can go wherever you need to go and get done whatever you need to get done and there's not micromanaging and three square meals a day and you being locked behind bars I mean is that really what your freedom is but if you really think about it your freedom is a responsibility because you have to know the laws and you have to make sure you don't violate them because when you do violate them then you gonna know what servitude is then you gonna know what being a slave is if that happens. So things to think about back to the text, a Jew who is Hashem's servant, literally the Lord's servant, the Lord's slave, the Lord's bond servant, a servant of righteousness. You can put all that right there. If I had a pen, I would just in the little margin, put all those different things and write those verses from the letters of Shaul right there. But anyway, it says, so this servants of the Lord, they must, or they, uh, they must therefore treat his servant with consideration. So it's weird because it's like, I'm a servant, but yet here I have a servant. 
So like, wait a minute. I'm not sure about this because how does Hashem treat me? Because that's how I should treat this person. So again, go back to slavery as been taught in movies and media and happened in history and stuff. Has anybody ever treated their air quotes slave as Hashem treats us? I mean, just think about that for a second. Because, I mean, Hashem gives us breath in our body even when we disobey him. I mean, think about that for a second. Hashem empowers us and gives us vitality and health to perform all kinds of heinous acts of sin and debauchery and unrighteousness. He gives us freedom to do that. I mean, if there's ever been needed to be a Selah, because it's just kind of like, okay, so if somebody else offends us, somebody else sins against us, someone who's our enemy, uh, you know, slanders us, and it's just kind of like, and and when was the last time we did this to anybody or Hashem? Because, you know, we should kind of think about that first. Because now, if you understand the laws of servitude, you got to pay for things that you've done as a crime. So if one of the ways for you to pay for slandering and sinning against Hashem is for somebody else to slander and sin against you, Mazal Tov, debt's been paid. And furthermore, Shaul Hashliach, I mean, obviously he's highly quoted and I'm just perpetuating it. But I, here I am doing the Agarit to Rome podcast series. So, I mean, what are we really expecting? A lot of Shaul said. <laughs> but again, in order to understand what Shaul said, you got to understand what Shaul read. He said, oh, no one, anything but love. And what does love do? It covers a multitude of sin. Because where did that come from? That came from Proverbs. You know what? We're going to have to swerve and go to Proverbs. So we're going to put a tab on page 203. And uh, we're going to talk about love covering a multitude of sins. Uh, let's see where that's at here. Love covers a multitude of sin. Let's see here. Searching. All right. First, Kepha 4 8. He says, Above all, keep ferventing your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Where did he get that from? There it is. 10 12. Baruch Hashem. So we're putting together Shaul saying, oh, no one, anything but love. And then remembering that love covers a multitude of sin because Kepha wrote about that, saying that above all things, you know, love people. So no matter, no matter what you do, make sure you got that down. I mean, you can evangelize and stuff all day, but if you don't love anybody, like if you're not really trying to point people out to truth, and if you're not really concerned about them actually engaging that truth and you just want them to know your truth, because you realize like the Bible has to be grasped from, you know, the person, not I like, in other words, I can't tell you grab a hold of the word of God the way I grab a hold of the word of God. I'm going to 
let you know that there's this thing called the word of God that exists and this is it. And what it looks like is you and God working it out in a relationship. I mean, because really, when do we, uh, well, this is a trick. This is a tricky and dangerous question to ask. But when do we really put a man and a woman together and micromanage their marriage? I mean, there is a such thing as what's called outlaws, you know, mother-in-law, father-in-law and all that kind of stuff. They call them outlaws instead of mother-in-law or father-in-law. But those kind of people can really wreak havoc on a marriage. But what happens to that marriage? It's not it's not a real marriage. It's, it's actually a terrible marriage. And p- both parties probably want out or they want to just shoot themselves. So guess what? It works the same way in your relationship with Hashem. People probably want to just shoot themselves because we micromanage their relationship with Hashem. As opposed to saying, hey, you should just know this is Hashem's word. It's called the Torah. And uh, we were all... Uh, created from it there's a portion of us that's in it which is called our torah portion and if you read your torah portion i guarantee you literally i don't have to bet you because it just it's just true so just know that believe that and trust that when you read it it will um it will uh what do they call it it will reverberate with you you'll you'll get it like you'll read and you'll be like oh my gosh seriously so yeah, it, you'll get it. So anyway, Bezrat Hashem, people do that. So here's the deal. Love covering a multitude of sins. But all, but love covers all transgression. Okay. Transgressions, like you literally actively do this. Like it wasn't like, oh, I accidentally. It's like, no, I, I meant to do that. Okay, anyway, that's a transgression. And it says, Rashi relates our verse to the sins of the Jewish people. Hashem does not punish immediately, but the sin is not dismissed. Hashem does not punish immediately, but the sin is not dismissed. Hmm. So for those who say, yeah, God's totally helping me do this. I'm, I'm led by the Spirit. It's like, only time will tell. Only time will tell. Sin is not punished immediately. And it's also not dismissed. Say to the law. Okay. If a great number of sins accumulate, Hashem's anger is aroused. And seemingly forgotten transgressions are brought to the fore. Like, it's like, okay, remember all that stuff I said I was going to forget? Well, guess what? I didn't. Okay, and it says, see Yehezekiel, which is Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 7. And it says, but even serious transgressions will be forgiven if, say if, because this is the big word here. The word if is a very, very big word that means this determines the outcome. We can rack up sin all day and all this kind of stuff as it's not immediately punishable and or it's not immediately punished. It is immediately punishable. That's a big difference there. But the sin is not dismissed. Okay, so all of that's on play, right? But if you repent, i.e. if you stop doing that which is considered to be against God, 
transgressions will be forgiven. It's like, okay, I know you did all this stuff, but I'll forgive you if you repent. It's kind of like if you're getting beat by an abuser and you need, it's like people are like, oh yeah, but you got to forgive them. It's like, well, if they continue to beat you, they're, they're no, get out of there. Okay. So anyway, just a terrible example, but yeah. It says, homiletically, Baal Shem Tov taught that only modest people can feel true love for others because arrogant people love themselves. I'm going to say that twice, like two more times in addition. It says, homiletically, Baal Shem Tov taught that only modest people can feel true love for others because arrogant people love themselves. Baal Shem Tov taught that only modest people can feel true love for others because arrogant people love themselves. Love is the foundation of human society. Without it, the structure crumbles. When the foundation is sound, our verse declares it covers up shortcomings. I'm about to throw this book, but it's a holy book, so I'm not. So I got to throw something else because the source for that is called Zaphonat Paneach. How are you going to have a source called Zaphonat Paneach? I mean, seriously? Anyway, the next comment is from Torah Avot, the Torah of our fathers. And yes, that includes Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and probably some of the prophets, definitely Moses. It says, if a sinner is inspired to repent, he can easily lose hope and feel that he is so filled with transgressions that there is no hope for him. Our verse cries out against such a spirit. Okay, the verse, this is one of those verses where if you had a Torah that could really manifest as a human because that's what it, what happened when Mashiach came. But anyway, just little stuff like that. This would be a part where the Torah screams. It goes, listen, love covers a multitude of transgressions. If you repent, you will be forgiven. Emphasis on multitude. Multitude. There are a lot of them. You feel like you're drowning in them. Love, which can only happen by people who are modest and they have love for others. So anyway, that kind of stuff. The Torah is going to scream right here. It says, let his love of Hashem prevail over his sins. Let him begin to change for the better and transform himself from a center from a sinner to a penitent. We need to become masters of repentance. The word is Baal Shuva, masters of repentance. Our love of God should prevail over our sin. Is that not what Mashiach taught us? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I.e. saying that if you keep the commandments, uh, they're going to cause you to prevail over sin. So if people are wondering why is the world so full of sin, it's because nobody keeping the commandments and people are being told don't keep them. So it's just like, yeah, go sin. But you need to believe in Jesus and be saved and set free from sin. I tell you, you need to be set free by the Lord. And it's like, yeah, 
be set free, but go out and rob banks. That's totally fine. And it's like, uh, whose logic are we really following on that? Just, just a thought. No, you don't remember this source, but it's called the Midrash says, and we were on page 203, 50,000 hours ago. Says a Jew who is a Shem servant must therefore treat his slave with consideration. Every Jew must mass, every Jewish master must free his Hebrew slave no later than six years after the commencement of his servitude. By the way, this is connected to the understanding that on the Hebrew calendar there are only six thousand years that we're supposed to live in this condition. So, like. You know, mankind being prone to sin and dying until we get to experience the thousand year reign, which is really the seven thousandth year, which will be a thousand years of Shabbat to compensate for the thousand years of Shabbat that we lost because we ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, that's another drosh for another time. It's all about the lifespan of Adam, which is supposed to be a thousand years, but it was cut short because of sin and all that kind of stuff. Anyway. But this is connected to the fact that we're only going to be servants for no more than six years. So after six years are complete, after we go through 6,000 years of creation, and we're really close. By the way, the year is 5780, and apparently there is a, uh, a discrepancy on the time frame because about two to 300 years were actually not accredited for so technically we could be like at the uh 6000 year mark or like not like we could we could basically we could either have like you know some 300 years to go or a little less or we're like right there at the end so as far as looking at it, and when you really look at the way that we uh, delineate the year, we take off the five and we literally just say 780. So uh, we see Tav Sheen pay and it's like, OK, so what does that mean? That means 780, 780 of what? Of the 5000th year. So the 6000th year would commence the Messianic era. And then we would go into the uh, the Alam Haba and all that kind of stuff after that, like after the millennial reign, thousand year reign. And then we go into beyond and like to infinity and beyond. Anyway, so just a little drop on that. Uh, so we would understand the connection because a day is like a thousand years and all that kind of stuff. So if we really look at that, Mashiach um, is said to have been... Um, crucified, buried, resurrected some 2,000 years ago, which means we're just at two days and Hashem doesn't let the righteous suffer for any more than three days. So before the third day sets in, that's when we're supposed to be resurrected. We'll be raised on the third day. So there, there's that. But anyway, um, continuing on, it says our parsha deals with a thief who is unable to repay that which he stole. Again, talking about thieving, talking about stealing, talking about repayment. Okay, so we know the wages of sin is death. And we know Mashiach tells us that the thief, Hasatan, comes to kill, steal, and destroy. So we align ourselves with him 
who has not aligned himself with God. So typically when you find people who don't align themselves with God, they're typically aligned with the one who is the master of lying and killing and stealing and thieving, which is what sin is, by the way, it's theft at its finest because we steal the glory of God to do heinous things, very idolatrous things, because when we sin, we're basically saying, I'm God, God's not my God, I get to choose what I want to do. Whenever you get into that boat, uh, it's it's got a lot of holes in it. You will drown, you will get eaten by a megalodon, and you will die uh, very dark and cold. So anyway, savory, or slavery, bondage, sin, death, thief, steal, kill, destroy. That's that's all what that is. But if you partake of the Torah, it's it's a completely different story. If you're a new creation, it's a completely different story because you're far from any of that. And you don't choose how you live your life. Hashem does. So, so there's kind of that. As the sages tell us that everything is determined in the life of a person except whether or not they'll have fear of heaven. In other words, are you going to be a righteous person or are you going to be a wicked person? Are you going to make this life all about you or are you going to make this life all about Hashem? That's the only thing we get to choose. Hence why some of us are not of a light complexion. Some of us are of dark complexions and interesting complexions and all sorts of stuff like that. We didn't get to choose how we look, you know, and uh, yeah, anyway, I can share a lot of personal stories because I learned something about genetics this week and it was like, well, the only way to fix that issue, son, is uh, you have to have different parents. And it's like, well, I know some people. It's like, but you've already been born. It's like, but yeah, but I can be born again. That's that's not what that means. It's like, oh, okay. So I have to go talk. I have to learn from the story of John chapter three now. Okay. Anyway, says the bait dean is only allowed to sell a thief to a Jew or a righteous convert, but not to a non-Jew. It is prohibited to sell him at a public auction where slaves are sold, but rather he must be sold in a dignified manner. Although Torah refers to the thief as a slave, his master is not allowed to employ the term slave as a term of contempt. He must regard him as his brother. Good night. Stop it. That connects to a whole bunch of other stuff that I do not have time to take get into, but just Lakute Torah, becoming the brother of Hashem, and what that means with our prayer and our uh, service to God and all that kind of stuff, that's all connected to this. And it's about the two angels that are on top of the ark. Oh, gosh. Okay. Wow. So you're supposed to regard this person of servitude as your brother. Says, in fact, according to Torah law, the master must grant his Hebrew slave such excellent conditions that it may seem to the employer that he did not acquire a slave for himself, but rather a master. Because this is how much you esteem people that come into servitude for you. It says it is evident from the Torah that the slave's position 
is more than tolerable. For at the end of six years of service, he may state, 21.5 of Shemot, I love my master. I do not want to go free. So I'm just saying, if you've been in slavery and it was horrible, I'm pretty sure you won't say, I love my master. I do not want to go free. I'm sure you would not say that. I'm pretty sure you'd be like, I'm out. Anyway. Okay, so finish up here with the Midrash Rabbah, and then we'll get into the Agarit. But I bookmarked this page, and I'm thankful I have a few minutes to re just read it. So I'm just going to read. It says, the, uh, the Midrash presents an alternative. No, here we go. The Midrash expounds on the continuation of his passage from Isaiah 27.2, Yeshiyahu. Okay. The following verse states, I am Hashem, the guardian of the vineyard. I water it frequently. God is saying, I am the one who keeps watch over Israel's enemies in order to present them with many cups of punishment to drink. Let not, or take this cup from me kind of thing that Yeshua says, because it was going to be a cup of punishment. He's like, oh, no, I don't want to be an enemy of Israel. It's like, well, Israel has made themselves an enemy, so you got to drink their cup. Okay, anyway. So as it stated, I freak as I as it is stated, I water literally will water it frequently. God continues now, if I were intent on gazing malevolently upon Israel's oppressors, I could ex extirpate them from the world all at once. But I do not do so for I have no wrath. Meaning, I do not have the same wrath as the opposers who, who become filled with wrath against my children Israel. Rather, what will I do to them? I will wait for them to fulfill their measure of sin, and only then will I destroy them. As it is stated, I will then trample it and set it all together afire. So, they say... All of this is about God's restraints on our enemies. Um, so, yeah, if you kind of just look at that with regards to fulfilling the, the time of servitude and how it's uh, a measure buildup, basically, is what I'm getting at there. And that will do it. Uh, just kind of for some of the things that I wanted to share from the Midrash on this, but I think it's beautiful that Hashem is one who watches over our enemies. And so, um, just cause I got a little second, I'm going to read the footnote. It says that the Midrash interprets the term Notzra guardian in a negative sense. God keeps watch over the vineyard to ensure that it will be cut down when the time comes. So, the cups of trepidation with which God will punish the nations that subjugated the Jews. So we've been considered as slaves among the nations and those, those nations are our enemies and God is keeping watch over them. He's like, you only get such amount of time that they will go free and I will free them. As is said by Liam Neeson in the Taken movie, I have a very specific set of skills I will find you and I will kill you. 
And I know that's pretty violent, but that's pretty much what we're headed towards because there are cups that have to be drank because people decided that they wanted to drink. So, Brukashim. Now, without further ado, Igerithrome, chapter six. Now that we've had like the craziest introduction ever about being a servant of Hashem, a bond servant, if you want to put it that way. Let's go ahead and get into what he writes. So 23 verses. Let's try to knock this out and make this happen. I'm saying this as if this is a team effort like you guys are here keeping me from doing this. But here we go. Orthodox Jewish Bible on deck. It says, what then shall we say? Are we to persist in chet, which is sin? In order that unmerited chen vechesed, grace, loving kindness of Hashem might increase. If if everyone who is a follower of Hashem, a believer in the Messiah, would be able to really just take this question in, just really put this over your life. Are we to persist? Are we to continue in sin because we're under grace? Just saying, because grace abounds and it gives us the opportunity to get right with God. And it's like, yeah, so since that's the case, we have this time to get right with God. Should we just go on sinning? Because then you have to really answer the definition of sin, which, again, you're breaking the law of God. That's what sin is. But if you don't think that's what sin is, I don't really know what to tell you. But I'm just saying, just if if most people thought about this question, we would probably not see people going to an establishment on Sunday mornings thinking that they are uh, following the one true God, but yet they don't do any of what his word says. They do some of it, I guess. But I mean, really. Sukkot. Rosh Hashanah, Shabbat, Kashrut, you know, candle lighting, Hanukkah. I mean, stuff that Yeshua did. Just saying. But verse two, he answers it. He says, Chas Shalom, which means may it never be. Okay, Chas Shalom. Since we have died to Chet. Wow. That's a powerful statement. Like, we have no pulse for Chet. Like, if it's against Torah, we don't do it. It's just kind of like, wow. So you, literally, that's how much freedom we've been granted, is that whatever's against Torah, we don't have to do it. That's what the grace of God is. He's like, I'm going to give you this opportunity to for you to understand and figure out and develop that uh, you are resurrected. You are no longer dead because dead people are ones who persist and continue in sin. This is why the Jewish uh, commentary goes that even the wicked in their lifetimes are considered dead. But those who are righteous, even in their death, they're considered alive. I mean, okay. But anyway, so we died to chet, to sin. It says, how can we still live in it? Since we have died to it, how can we still live in it? 
I mean, that should rack our brains. Like, I just sinned. Why did I, why did I do that? I'm dead to that. Did I just, like, pass out or something? Like, what just happened to me? I had a blackout moment. It says, or, verse 3, do you lack da'at? By the way, the word da'at, this word for know, this word for knowledge, because, you know, knowledge is power. Did you know that the Torah in Deuteronomy verse 33, chapter or chapter 33, verse 2, Deuteronomy 33, verse 2, Devarim 33, verse 2, says that the law is called da'at. The law of God is, by the way, fiery, and it's called a fiery law, a fiery Torah, a fiery da'at, a.k.a. Aish dot. If you just do just a supplementary study on Aish dot, you will never, ever see the Torah the same way again. Most people say they don't want to follow the Torah, and yet they don't even know what the Torah is. Because the Torah tells you things like, be nice to people, uh, give charity, uh, don't uh, cause people to fall into pits that will uh, cause them to injure themselves, uh, don't damage other people's property, uh, there's a due process before someone is able to be uh, judged according to law. I mean, it says all sorts of stuff. And yet people go, no, but the Torah is not for us and we don't do it. And it's just like, really? Like this whole living stuff and respecting one another stuff, we don't do that? That's odd. Anyway, so da'at. So do you like da'at? Is what he's saying? That we, we, that all we who were given a mikvah mayim tevila into Rebbe, Melech, Hamashiach, Yehoshua, Yeshua, see Zechariah 6, 11 through 12 and Ezra 3, 8. We were given a tevila into Mashiach's his stalkut, his death, into his mavit. Which is another word for death. So, okay. We've we've had a, a passing away, so we should have a yearly yard site. So we should be, be able to be like, yeah, I light a candle on my old life. This is where I died. It's called Pesach. <laughs> and let me celebrate by getting rid of all the hummets. And let me celebrate by eating unleavened bread for seven days. Because I'm celebrating that point in time where I died to sin and, and all that good stuff. Anyway, so you talk about having a funeral. But uh, yeah, anyway, is it any wonder then that Mashiach would die during that festival? I mean, I'm just saying it's just not a coincidence. No, not at all. But anyway, so first of all, if you're a person who sin, you got to think to yourself, do I like Da'at? Because we were given a mikvah into Mashiach's death. Like, okay, so we've been immersed in his death. What did Mashiach die for? He died for the sake of people not following the Torah. Point blank. So if we mikvah into that, that means we've now immersed ourselves into not breaking the Torah. Quit shattering tablets Quit crucifying Messiah. Okay, quit making golden calves. I mean, what else do we need to say? Quit saying there's giants in the land and God, we can't take it. 
and you can't even defeat the Giants. Quit saying that, okay? Because you you just you just had a, a splash time, okay? You just went to put your feet in the water and you blew some bubbles, and it's just like that was nothing. Like you you you're not a new creation, because because uh, new creations they're dead to sin and they don't like the art and they they understand don't break Torah, they understand hold the tablets, they understand kill the calf. They understand don't slander God. Don't slander the land. Go into the land. Listen to God. Do what he says. Anyway, that's the whole meaning behind that verse. So verse four literally says, so then we were co-buried. Oh, wow. Like, okay. So in Judaism, there's a cave called there's a cave called Machpelah, and it's literally a cave, a doubled cave. It literally means the cave of doubles because Adam and Eve are buried there. Abraham and Sarah are buried there. Uh, Isaac and Rebecca, Jacob and Leah. And um, down the line, you also have the brothers who were buried somewhere near proximity to that, like the 12 sons of Jacob. The only one who wasn't buried in the cave, coincidentally, I think not, Joseph. Joseph is always considered to be outside the camp. Is it any wonder that Messiah's followers are always considered to be outside the camp? Like, they're not, well, you won't be welcomed in their synagogues. They're going to throw you out. They're going to slander you. They're going to hate you for my name's sake. Just like they did Joseph. But you have to read about Joseph in order to know these things. But anyway... So we were co-buried with Mashiach, just like as if Mashiach's body was in the cave and we were next to him. I mean, that's powerful just to think about that. I mean, we we died the way Mashiach died. It was just like rebellion, disobedience, death, bondage. We took that all on and like put it in the dirt. We came from the dirt and we returned to the dirt. So, I mean, you think about the fact of a resurrection means you've now been brought up anew. Now, our physical flesh has to catch up with that reality and it will. But until then, that's that's the the kind of shell, the shedding, if you will, like the the snake does. It sheds. So that's what we kind of have to do with our daily activities. We have to shed off that old life, that old self. That's why it says, take off the old and put on the new. That's also in Shaul Hashliak's writings. He says that. Anyway, so, so we were buried together with Mashiach's body. You can also read Yeshiahu 53.9. I am going to stop the podcast right here because I'm going to do a podcast on Yeshayahu and not have the podcast, not have the source. Stand by. Picking up in Yeshayahu 53.9 says he submitted himself to his grave like wicked men. Says although the Jew, wow, the Jew was innocent of any crime. He would submit himself to death as if he were a criminal rather than renounce his religion and be freed. Seriously? Hold up. 
innocent of crime, but going to submit himself to death as if he were a criminal rather than renounce his religion and be freed. Because here's the deal. When we when we go through sin, it's the equivalent of abrogating the covenant, renouncing God and like saying that we're Jewish and believing in stuff. And when we, whenever we find ourselves in the boat of saying we're not Jewish, we don't follow God and we don't love him and all that kind of stuff. That is renouncing our religion and um, proverbially, not really proverbially, uh, air quoting, submitting ourselves to freedom. Because for some reason in our human minds, we think freedom is when we get to do what we want, even if it doesn't match up with the word of God. It's like, I'm free to do this. And it's like, yeah, people who rob banks and kill people obviously feel free enough to do those things, but yet it leads them to bondage. Oh, there's a way that seems right to a man that leads to death. Where have we heard that from before? Anyway, uh, going on, it says he submitted himself to wicked men to be killed and buried. Did not Mashiach say that he was going to be handed over to men and they're going to kill him and stuff? Anyway, it says, so he submitted himself to wicked men to be killed and buried in his grave rather than deny the living God. That's from Rashi. It says, alternatively, et reshaim means with wicked men. So if you've ever wondered how the Mashiach could take on the sin of all mankind, if you just look at this word et reshaim, it literally means the Aleph Tav all the wicked ones. So all the wicked ones were embodied by the Aleph Tav. Like the Aleph Tav became an indicator of all the wicked people. So Aleph Tav, the first and the last, you know, the Mashiach, the Torah, all that. That's what Aleph Tav is. All 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. It subjected itself to wicked ones. So that's just kind of... Mm. Okay, the Jew was so disgusted with his life in the hands of his dispersion that he wanted to die together with his wicked persecutors. That's from the Ibn Ezra. So, yeah, so being buried with Mashiach, I mean, that's what we're looking at. Just because it says uh, for committing no crime and with no deceit in his mouth, the Jew would submit himself to any of the deaths decreed upon him by his rulers rather than commit the crime of robbery as practiced by those around him or deceitfully feign allegiance to false gods in order to curry favor or avoid persecution. So there's this time where it's like people have bells of holly and all this kind of stuff. And they always want to tell you things. And it's like, why do you do all that? Why don't you just come celebrate us with us? It's like, no, nope, won't have any deceitful allegiance and false gods just to just to curry favor and avoid persecution. That's why the Jews who were uh, victims of persecution during the time that caroling became a thing, they they literally undergo, they underwent that persecution. They literally uh, paraded Jewish people naked around 
towns and provinces, causing them to be in the cold and singing these songs and all this kind of stuff. So you're making them sing from the enemy songs uh, upon enemy soil and uh, being just defamed and abused. And it's like, yeah, this is called Xmas caroling. Such a joyous time. It's like, really? Because that's what you used to do to people? You think that's now something we should do? Anyway, just things you should probably know. And it says the prophet Zephaniah in chapter 3, verse 13, echoes this verse saying that there was neither corruption nor deceit among the remnant of Israel. So those who made it through this time of persecution that is being brought down here and uh, the commentary on Yeshiahu 53.9 says that they didn't have any deceit in their mouth. And it's it's so cool because Mashiach Yeshua, while he was going through his unjust treatment, he had no deceit in his mouth. And I think it's just incredible to know that as human beings, if we're disrespected, how hard is it to not have deceit or anything vile come out of your mouth? Somebody just talked about your mother. They talked about your grandsister. And like, you're just like, oh, I know you didn't. But Mashiach, he said, no, I'm like a lamb led to the slaughter. So just think about that because we're immersed into that. A mikvah is like, it is likened to the womb of the spirit. So like you get surrounded by the amniotic sac of the spirit. And when you come up out of that water, it's like the spirit just gave birth to you. The word of God just gave birth to you. So anyway, that's, that's what kind of the picture here. This is how you're born of the spirit is that you're, you undergo these trials, these persecutions, you undergo this, uh, this death to sin. So anyway, it says, we're still in verse four. I got a little happy with the Yeshiahu 53. So I'm going to read it again. So then we were co-buried together with his body through a Tevila into Mavid in order. Why did we do this? It says in order that. Just as Rabbi Melech HaMashiach was given the Tekiyat resurrection, Hametim of the dead ones, through the Kavod Ha'av, through the glory of the Father, so we also should have Halakha, the way we walk before Hashem, in Hit Katshut, in Chayim Chadashim. So we should have our halakha of renewal and regeneration and newness of life. This is why we were immersed into that. So because we don't violate the Torah, because we don't, you know, cause the violation of Torah to master us, we allow the way in which we live out our life, our eating, sleeping and drinking, our waking hours, no matter what we're doing, it's a life of renewal, regeneration, and newness of life. And this is why the Parsha Mishpatim is so important, is because it's not just about what you do when you're studying and when you're praying. 
It's about what you're doing when you're washing dishes, what you're doing when you're at work, what you're doing when you're on break, what you're doing when you're laying in bed before you go to sleep, what you're doing when you first wake up in the morning, what you're doing when you're, oh my goodness, stuck in traffic. That's what it's really about. And one of the biggest things that is important to take note of is that in Jewish uh, commentary, it brings down that when we die and Bezrat Hashem go to Shemaim, that one of the things we're asked at the proverbial pearly gates is, were you honest in your business dealings? And this seems like that cannot be the question we're asked. But were you honest in your business dealings? I'm going to say that again. Were you honest in your business dealings? If you really think about the weight and the gravity of that question, think about what it takes to deal in business. What do you do to make money? And were you honest about how you went about doing it? What does it take? I mean, you plan your whole week around working. You're like, I can't do this right now because I'm at work. <laughs> it's just like, okay. You know, uh, I will not be staying up all night because I have to go to work in the morning. I would love to hang out with you today, Bob, but I can't because I got to go to work. Or I'm still at work, so I don't get to hang out right now. Like, think about this. Are you honest in your business dealings? And it's like, really? Is that the question? It's like, yeah, because this is called Halacha Hikachut Chaim Chadashim. The way in which we walk before Hashem and newness and regeneration of life. That's why we were immersed into the death, burial, and resurrection of the Mashiach. Because all of that is supposed to be on point like a ball pen. So, verse 5. For now, if we become grown if we have become grown all together with the very likeness of his death, we shall certainly be grown together in the very likeness of his tekiyat hametim, his resurrection. I love it because this is a life of development. Like the way that we go from a baby to like an adult there's a growth process. The same thing happens spiritually. We go from being people who have been buried in the death, burial, and resurrection of Mashiach. So we conform to his death and we also conform to his resurrection. So like there's a whole development process that we go from transition of being a Torah breaker, one who lives without the law, and then we transition into one who lives through the law and like brings it you know, just in this world and the world to come, you know, like eternal life stuff. Like there's a development process. It, it, your spirit undergoes a development, your soul, you get to learn, you change, you transform, you renew your mind, you work out your salvation with fear and trembling, you work and study to show yourself approved, you practice things that are good religion before, her, before God, you know, like feeding the poor, and the widow and the orphan clothing the the people who don't have clothes and visiting the sick and all sorts of other stuff. Uh, as I like to call it, a Muna on 1100, you know, so like about that life kind of stuff. Anyway, so we grow together and all that. Verse six, 
having da'at, you got to have the Torah. Because, again, once you get all the freedom and the renewal and all that kind of stuff, it's like, okay, and now what? It's like now da'at. Take the da'at, okay, the Torah. Okay, and it says that the da'at of this, that with Mashiach, our old humanity in Adam has been put to death on Mashiach's eights, his tree. And it says the tree is the eights ha-kelelat Hashem, which is the tree of curse as seen in Devarim 21-23. So that's the tree that our old life goes with. That one where there was like, the, that's the rebellious son who was in the image of the king. Because yes, that's what the commentary says in Devarim. They bring down a parable. It says that looks like the king is hanging on a on a pole. Like, take that down. Don't let that stay up overnight. That's disrespectful. Anyway, but that's for another time. Just study Devarim and you'll get that information. This is what Torah study is important. You get stuff like this and it's just like, Really? And you'll see who, where did that come from? How did they come to that? It's, it's amazing. Anyway, shameless plug, I know. But that's, so there's two trees. There's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And there's a tree of life. Tree of knowledge of good and evil, that's where your old humanity goes. That's, that's what got us in this condition in the first place. So put it back. Okay? It's like when you're at the store and your child comes to you. I don't have a child, so obviously I don't know anything about this. But I was a child once, and I did this plenty of times. I go, can I have this? And mom would be like, no, put it back. <laughs> and it's like, that's the same thing with Hashem. We come up to him with the sin. Hashem, can I have this sin? He's like, no, put it back. <laughs> anyway, so if you ever think about not following Torah and being Jewish and all that rabbinic stuff, just remember, put it back. That doesn't belong to us. That belongs to Asatan and his people. That's a different household. Okay, not our house. Not in our house. Anyway, says, in order that the etzim, the essence, ha-adam ha-ket, the essence of the sinful human condition might be done away with. Because why? We put it back. And it says, so that we might no longer serve, there's that word, serve, evid, Chet, see, see verse 23. Let's go ahead and go down to 23. Says, for the wages that slave master Chet, Chet is a slave master, by the way. He purchases us when we sin. Says, the wages of him, that master, he pays out of its own payroll is death. Wow. He has his own payroll and he's just like, all right, I'm going to write my own money. And this is the cost. It's like, isn't that like fraud or something? It's like, no, no, it's my own money. It's my own currency. This is my own system. And you've bought yourself into it. So therefore, here's your Bitcoin. Uh, this is your price. It's called death. Anyway, uh, so making up your own wages and stuff like that, that's a part of slave uh, master sin. Slave master sin. Wow. <laughs> anyway, somebody who runs their own payroll and pays out from it. That's that's crazy. Sin does the same thing. All right. So for those of you who do run your own payroll, 
this is why, again, the question is, are you honest in your business dealing? Because if you're not, then you might want to work on that. Anyway, uh, it says, however, the gracious matanat, which, by the way, that word matanat is the word for gift, which is like giving, like the person actively opens their hand to give it to somebody else which is what it's called for the Torah and um, and Parsha Yitro. It says Matan Torah, the giving of the Torah. And it's important to know, first of all, the Torah was already here. So this is like a reintroduction of the Torah, but it's like being given like, and, uh, and there's a, a whole transformation that happened in the universe because of this. Before then, it was like it was by the spirit and there were certain people who knew, certain people who didn't. But from this point forward, it's like all mankind is left without excuse for Torah. Before, if you didn't ever listen to Abraham, like if you didn't join his Facebook page or if you didn't watch his YouTube channel, maybe, okay, because you were like, I don't know about this. I don't know who that person is. He looks weird anyway. Like, yeah, you may have had an excuse because you weren't you didn't listen to his teachings. But now all of creation has heard the Torah. So like there's no excuse for anybody. And it happened in a desert and therefore it doesn't belong to anybody, just like the desert doesn't belong to anybody. So there you go. So anyway, Matan Torah, and it says that the gracious Matan, the gracious gift Hachesed Hashem, the gift of grace from Hashem is Chaye Olam Ba Mashiach Yeshua Adonainu. So the gracious gift of God is eternal life with the Mashiach. In other words, when you connect yourself to the Aleph Tav, that's where your eternal life comes from. Your source of renewal, your source of blessing, your source of life, your source of, oh, sin, I don't like that. I put it back. Like that all comes from the gracious gift of Hashem, which is the eternal life that we get in Mashiach Yeshua. Okay. And remember, Mashiach Yeshua is that very law that we decided that we didn't want. This is why when you study what Mashiach actually teaches and talks about, you find all of that in the Torah. You don't find it anywhere else. So just say la that, you know, it's kind of like, was it the rabbis who quoted Yeshua or was it Yeshua quoted the rabbis? Because, you know, like the, the man Shabbat was made for man. Man wasn't made for Shabbat. Like, the whole thing like you're you have the power in your hand to do with Shabbat as needed obviously you need to keep Shabbat but like Shabbat doesn't rule over man man it was given Shabbat kind of thing like that's a that's a very Jewish understanding which is why if you understand that from a proper mindset, which you have to be Jewish to do, because otherwise you'd be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to bake all this stuff. I'm going to write novels. I'm going to go shoot a movie. I'm going to go out to the movies. I'm going to go out to the restaurant. Like if you're thinking that's what that means, then you've misunderstood. But this means like, oh, someone needs to get circumcised. OK, let's do it. Oh, someone is sick and they need hot water. OK, we're going to boil hot water for the sick person. You know, stuff like that, because why those are called mitzvot unto life. And so we're supposed to live by 
doing the word of God. So therefore, that's how man was given Shabbat, you know, kind of thing. That's how that whole tie works. But anyway, it's a whole nother drosh. Like, why are we talking about that? We're supposed to be talking about servants. But I was. When I said that you're no longer to serve it, you're no longer to serve Chet, which gives you all of this distorted understanding of what the word of God is and how we should view it and think about it. Because up until the point that sin entered into the world, there was no confusion. There wasn't a, well, I know that this verse says, but... Somebody else over here wrote, and because I don't really have all the information about what they wrote, therefore, what I know the word of God says, well, it's it doesn't really have to look like that. It can look like this. You know, there's a new Israel, you know, the Jews, you know, they're a people of the past and God has something for them. But there's this new group of people and we're we're taking over now and we're the chosen people. And it's like, well. You're going to have a whole lot to work through with Shemot chapter 19. I mean, because God said who the chosen people were and he gave what that means to be chosen. He wrote all that there. And I think it's so interesting that people who say that they're chosen by God don't even do what chosen people do. It's just kind of like, are you chosen or are you just like saying that? Because like many people can proclaim to be firefighters, but like, are you really a firefighter? I mean, are you really chosen? Because, because you know, if you're really chosen, that that causes certain things to to manifest in your life. Because firefighters, I mean, they don't have to tell you they're a firefighter. I mean, they just they just put the fire out. They get the work done. So, shouts out to the firefighters. We appreciate y'all. Okay. Verse eight. No, verse seven. Okay. For he who has died is declared Niftar from Ket, from Ket. Niftar, freed, deceased. Okay? So if you have died, you are free from sin. Kepha puts it, anyone who's willing to suffer in this flesh is also free from sin. Uh, That's in one of his letters. He wrote that. Uh, first Kepha chapter four. Let's see here. I'm going to eyeball this one. Yeah, it is uh first Kepha four says this. Therefore, since anyone or verse one, therefore, since Mashiach suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same attitude for the one who has suffered in the flesh is finished with Chet. Okay, so now if you've died to Chet, you're acquainted with suffering, and so there we go. Because that's what Mashiach did, he suffered in the flesh. There are just things that we just want to do, like I want a cheeseburger, I want calamari. I, You know, you want all sorts of stuff, and it's like, but I will not. And because you say you will not, and because you submit yourself to God as your master and not to sin as your master, because no man can have two masters. He's going to love God and and hate the other, or he's going to love the other and hate God, you know, all that kind of stuff. 
It's like, so when that's the case, your flesh is just like, no, I can't believe you think to do this to me. And that's why I want to bring in a beautiful drop from Ish Pay La. Ish to the Pay La, Ish to the Okay. He dropped doors for me from Orkot Zadikim, the ways of the Zadikim. And let's see here. Where do we want to go? Okay. I will make it known to you that the wisdom of the Nefesh, the Ruach, and the Neshama, these are parts of our inner being. So that you may fear the Holy One, blessed be He. The Nefesh, this is in the liver. For the blood is the Nefesh. Okay? So like the lowest aspect of your being that animates who you are, the, the core of your vitality, your blood. It says, Devarim 12.23. And it says... It is the location of the desire for eating and drinking, cohabitation, and attendant lusts. For the liver is full of blood, and it lusts to sate a man with pleasures, enjoyments, and delights. This is the intent of Mishle, Proverbs 27.7. The sated nefesh will spurn honey drippings. So, again, when you think about, oh, I want to eat this, and I want to do this, and I want to touch this, I want to feel this, da-da-da-da-da, I want to go off and do all this other terrible things, that's called your nefesh. That's like, the blood that's inside of me is causing me to do all this stuff. It's like, okay, so you really want to live at that level. You want to be like an animal. Okay, like I couldn't help myself, this is what I did. Okay, and it goes on to say, the Ruach is the heart. It seeks lordship, greatness, kingship in the heart of man, causing him to pursue honor. It is for this reason that haughtiness of the heart is referred to as grossness of Ruach. It lifts a man's heart to lordship, self-aggrandizement, and pride. So now... We get to the heart of the matter and you're supposed to guard your heart for from it froze the will springs of life. And again, Mashiach says you're to take this heart and love the Lord your God with it. So that aspect of the glory and the honor and the recognition that's belongs to God. So literally there's a drive within us to to pride and to lordship and to like this lifting up. And that's actually supposed to be directed towards Hashem. And it's so cool because the Torah is called that which helps you uh, channel your your Yetzirah, your evil inclinations. So all of your eating, your drinking, your cohabitation, attendant lust, then moving to the heart and the lordship and the greatness and the kingship and all that. The Torah actually helps you pull all those things and direct them to God like they're supposed to be. So anyway, so that you don't end up making yourself the one who's uh, great and glorious, but you end up making God great and glorious. And it causes all of your being to like establish God like that. So you're like, don't look at me, look at him. Just like Mashiach said, Mashiach wasn't worried about being called great. Everybody called him great, but he was like, uh, yeah, so why do you call me good when there's only one who is good? And it's like, 
oh my gosh, I can't believe you healed me. You healed me of leprosy. No one's ever been healed of leprosy. You didn't even have to come to my house. I was outside the camp and I came to you. And it's like, yep, don't tell anybody, but go show yourself to the Cohen. <laughs> I mean, if anybody had an opportunity to be like, where's my red carpet? Where's my coffee, mocha latte? You know, like it was Mashiach. But what did he do with it? Served. Anyway, what are we supposed to do with our Nefesh and Ruach? Give it to Hashem. If you want to make somebody Lord, if you want to make somebody awesome, high and exalted, and if you want to use your eating and drinking and cohabitation to its ultimate ends, use it for Hashem. Then it goes on to say the Neshama. This is the fount of wisdom. It resides within the mind as a king amidst his battalions. It partakes partially of the glory of its creator so that it spurns the delights of men and the vanities of their amusements and generates wisdom and knowledge. You know, Rashaul gets in the saying, I serve the Lord God with my inner man, but with my uh, outer man, I serve sin. I believe that is Romans 7. Yeah, it says that's verse 23. I see a different law in my body parts battling against the law of my mind. So there are two laws. When people usually say, oh, don't be under the law. We're no longer under the law. It's like, okay, first of all, we should always ask, which one are you referring to? The law that's in our body parts or the law that's in our mind? The law of the Nefesh and the Ruach or the law of the Neshama? Think about it. Okay, anyway, so he says, so get, battling against the law of my mind, bringing me into bondage. Oh, there we go again. Being a servant, a slave under the law of sin, which is in my body parts. So if we leave our bodies unchecked, if we stay away from the Torah, stay away from Jewish stuff, stay away from conversion, we're locked up with the Nefesh and the Ruach, which is what most people who are generally alive, they have these things. And again, eating, drinking, cohabitation, attendant lusts, lordship, seeking of honor, greatness, and kingship in the heart of man, pursuing honor, self-aggrandizement, all that kind of stuff. He says, miserable man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, it is through Mashiach Yeshua, our Lord. So then with my mind, i.e. my neshama, I myself serve the Torah of God, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. Two laws battling against each other. It's our neshama versus our nefesh and ruach. The way you know that something is really powerful is like, who it gets to fight. Like you don't put a heavyweight against a lightweight. Hashem has designed us to where our neshama isn't really in the picture until bar and bat mitzvah. So for the first 12 to 13 years of our life, it's just like we're battling it out with just like our body. 
and our parents are supposed to be there to help us or our guardians are there to help us be like, hey, don't fight people, don't bite people, you know, uh, be nice to your teachers, uh, be nice to your sister, like don't punch people, that's not nice, stay out of the street, you could get hit and killed by a car, like all that kind of stuff, like, but then once we turn that age, 12, 13, 12 if you're a girl, 13 if you're a boy, like that's when our neshama is in place and it's like, okay, here's a fountain of wisdom, for you to just unleash into your body. And it's like, the neshama is so powerful. And by the way, the word neshama is the same word as Mishnah when you rearrange the letters, which means the oral Torah. And that's why through the oral Torah, you actually gain dominion over the law that's in your body parts. When you start doing the Jewish stuff, when you start doing the Torah stuff, when you're converted and all that kind of stuff, that's where you begin to gain dominion over your body. And when you do that, that's what Shaul is talking about. Thanks be to God. It is through Mashiach. Again, Mashiach is the Torah. That which came from the mouth of Hashem became flesh. That's the Torah. That's Mashiach. So through that. So the power of your neshama is that it can subjugate your ruach and your nefesh. It can take your heart and your liver and cause it to line up. But you have to be attached to your neshama, which comes through mastering the Mishnah. Mastering the Mishnah is not being a know-it-all, but it's being a do-it-all. Like, literally in the sense of straining and pressing towards the high mark. Like, you're not going to get it all figured out. If you do, I'm jealous. But, I mean, come on. Everybody can light candles when it's time to start Shabbat. Everybody can partake of challah. And do Kiddush, you know, do Kiddush first and then take the hollow. But, you know, you can read the Torah portion once a week. Like everybody can do this. Everybody can not choke somebody out, you know. I mean, you might want to, but that doesn't mean you have to. Because, again, you have an Ashama. And so, it says... That this is a king amidst his battalions. It partakes partially of the glory of its creator. I love it because Hashem says, I will not share my glory with any other. So yet, Hashem has placed in us an Hashem if we merit to rise up to it. And that is sharing the glory of Hashem, which means that part of us, which actually is Hashem, like that's the part of us that it's interesting because it, it's basically the Mashiach, it's the Torah, it's the word of God in us. And because we have that in us, we have Hashem's glory in us, which is the whole reason of why we should know that we're bought with a price. We're servants of God. We are the temple of God because, you know, God's glory was in the temple and stuff. And so because we have that in us, when we attach and connect to that and then flow out, that's how God flows out of us. Not because we say, oh, I got God in me. Who are you? It's like, no, you literally bring forth the word of God, his glory and everything. And it just infuses your life and it floods like a fountain, like rivers of living water. That's why Yeshua says, if anyone places their hope in me, if anyone comes to me, you know, and if you're in me, if you're in the Torah, rivers of living water will flow out of you. If you're in the Mishnah, 
and I, I hesitate when I say this because when I when I think Mishnah, I think of uh, previous people who've been uh, casualties of entering into conversion, coming into Torah, and then they get sidetracked and they um, go off the derrick, as we call it. Uh, they they get very judgmental. They get very legalistic. I mean, it's just it's weird. It's like. I can't believe this person's not doing this. I can't believe leadership isn't doing that. And it's like, well, what are you doing? I don't want to talk about what I'm doing. I want to talk about what everybody else is not doing. Like anytime you get into that boat, that's you're not mastering the Mishnah at that point. The Mishnah teaches you to be a person of chesed, a person of loving kindness. You know, so anyway, your neshama is super powerful and you have to allow the the fount of wisdom and knowledge of Hashem to flow over you, which is this mikvah of Mashiach that we've been talking about. And it says that all of its thoughts are to serve the Holy One, blessed be He, in fear. Like you have a healthy dose of who Hashem is, just like for those of us who were blessed to grow up with parents who we knew not to test them. Like I don't, I wouldn't just tell my mom, uh, hey, I know you serve this for dinner, but I ain't having it tonight. I'm going to go over here and get this pizza. And it's like, you excuse me. First of all, you're going to sit down at the table and you're going to eat. And it's just like, yes, ma'am. And you knew not to not to cross her, because if you crossed her, then you're going to cross the father and then the father is going to come in at you. So it's like a double beat down. So anyway, things to think about with fearing Hashem, like if we understand who he really is. And it says, and contemplates what will transpire in the end. Many of us don't ever think about 10 years later, 15 years later, or think about what's life going to be like after we die. Because you do know you enter into the spirit world unless Mashiach comes back and then spirit world and physical world like collides, which that'd be totally fine with me. Bring it on, Hashem. Let the resurrection begin. Baruch Ababa Shem Adonai. I mean, soon in our days. But what's that going to look like? I mean, if you really spent your whole life going, I did what I wanted to do, and I did this at this time, and I never gave a thought to the law of God, and I didn't think it was for me, and I thought I could live by my own law because all I was supposed to do was love people. I mean, think about what that, what the results of that would be. Mashiach told us plainly, he said, Workers of lawlessness, depart from me, I never knew you. Think about that. What is lawlessness? What is the lawlessness? Okay, and then it goes on to say, when the body dies and deteriorates, how will it return in purity to Hashem? We get to go back to Hashem because it's like the part of Hashem, the part of who we are that came directly from Hashem, like Hashem was like, all right, I'm sending you go to that body, go be with that family, go be this person. Okay. So that part of us is going to go back to Hashem. It's going to be like, all right, so report soldier. Well, wasn't good. Why wasn't it good soldier? Cause, uh, I didn't do a thing you told me to do. It's like, Oh, and why is that? Well, because Paul said, it's like, uh-uh, don't you bring my name up. Don't you put that on me, Ricky Bobby. That's Paul speaking from the other room. Anyway, uh, so yeah, so, you know, people, we got to think about this. So 
this right here just makes me go, oh my gosh. But anyway, it says um, it's going to return to him who created it and placed it within the body. A man has two masters from which he frees himself at his death. As is written in Job 3, verse 19, small and great there or small and great are there alike and the servant is free from free of its masters these two masters are the ruach and the nephesh whose thoughts are pleasures accumulation of wealth eating drinking rejoicing indulging all the thoughts of the heart and visions of the eyes speaking vanities gratifying the body the neshama overturns these thoughts saying of what good are these to a man and what profit does he derive from all his exertions to attain them yep if you thought what good is it for a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul you are correct you just won shabbat anyway uh so yeah that's where that comes in and it says he is gone in a moment his body disintegrates and then where is his wisdom his feasting, his beauty. The crazy thing is about this lawlessness of we don't have to keep the Sabbath. We don't need to be Jewish and all this kind of stuff. The sad part about that is, is that's all going to die and literally go away. The very people who came up with those ideologies are going to die and it's going to go away. But the very people who came up with follow Torah, keep Shabbat, all that kind of stuff. Those people are still alive. And guess what? They're still going to be because why? They're all found in Mashiach, who is, by the way, still alive. So just think about that. It's either Mashiach or against him. I mean, that's really ultimately what it is. Mashiach never went against the Shabbat, never went against conversion, never went against being Jewish. So I want to think about these things. And then it says, if so, only the good is to serve the Holy One, blessed be he, to cleave to him, to walk in his ways with a whole heart and a willing soul. Ruach and Nefesh argue in one direction, the Neshama in the other. If the former predominate the Neshama, if, if the Ruach and the Nefesh all the lust and the desires and seeking and honor and all that kind of stuff, if that dominates and becomes a master over your neshama, it says it weakens and loses the strength to resist them. Accordingly, one who preoccupies himself with eating and drinking will never grow wise. People who say, oh, I can't give up a cheeseburger and I just love my pork. You'll never grow wise. Just important to know that. If you preoccupy yourself with eating and drinking, you will never grow wise. And when the neshama predominates over the ruach and the nefesh, the eyes of the soul open to understand the supernal wisdom. When the neshama dominates, when that thanks be to Hashem, it is through Mashiach Yeshua. When you start doing that, then the eyes of the soul, it says, open to understand the supernal wisdom. Therefore, the neshama must weaken the ruach from which anger and pride derive and the nefesh from which lust derives. And when the neshama predominates the soul or predominates in wisdom, 
She. Oh, now our soul is a she, like the Shekinah of God or something, Holy Spirit. She will produce humility. So, yeah. So uh, our neshama is supposed to dominate who we are, and that's the actual law that we're supposed to allow to be in charge of us. So, yeah. All right. So we are in verse eight of chapter six. But if we have died with Mashiach, we believe that we shall also live with him. Okay, because how's Mashiach living right now? He's awaiting the final redemption. Like, when can I go back and redeem my people? When can I go back and get my bride dead? That's what's going on. Having Da'at, having the Torah, that Mashiach, having been given the Tekiat Matim, the resurrection from the dead, no longer dies. Mavit and his Talkut no longer exercise control over him. Death and burial, all of that doesn't have any more control over him. For the Mavit Mashiach died, for the death Mashiach died, he died to Chet. The very death of Mashiach, the very crucifixion, that's all a picture of Torah breaking. That's all like, that was a bad day. That's wrong. We don't do that. Again, Devarim 21 talks about this son who's rebellious and wayward. It's like, okay, so no wonder. That was the death of sin. That's what it looks like. So if you want to be against the Torah of God, okay, you, you're basically saying, okay, so I want to live like Mashiach lived during the crucifixion. And it's important to note that truly people who break the Torah of God, they literally live that way. They live lives of suffocation. They live lives of destituteness, of despair, darkness. There's sadness, there's bondage of all kinds. You can't go anywhere. You're stuck in this spot. People live like that. I know I lived like that. I remember my church days and I'm like, was I ever going to get anywhere? I mean, I traveled across the world. I, I did uh, tours. I did all sorts of albums. And it's like, but I never went anywhere. I never moved from my little two by two square. And I'm like, man, I felt like I lived so much. But it's like now... Being observant, being in Torah, being born again, conversion, all that kind of stuff. It's like, this is completely freedom. And I'm not even doing any of those things. It's like, yeah, so I go to work and I come home, but I'm free. And obviously, I go to synagogue and things like that as those events happen. But I'm just saying, it's like, how are you more free now than you were when you were proverbially on top of the world, like air quotes and all that underlying stuff. Like, are you making albums? Are you having dance classes? Are you leading dance crews? Are you on tour? Like, are you doing any of that? Cause, cause if you're not, then you're not free. It's like, okay, so who, who determined that's what freedom looks like? Freedom looks like I am not subjugated to my own lust and my own desires. I don't live a life that's suffocating. I don't live a life that's in darkness and despair. I don't despair of living. I'm not trying to commit suicide because I tried to do that, by the way. I, I mean, I was a believer. I said I loved God. I went to church every Sunday, but yet here I am trying to kill myself. 
It's like, okay, so that's what freedom looks like. It's like, yeah, I believed in JC. JC was my homeboy, but yet I tried to kill myself. Yeshua is my Lord. Therefore, the way I kill myself is I live for him. I study his Torah and I do my best to be diligent in Torah study, Torah learning, Torah teaching and prayer and also in acts of loving kindness. So straining and pressing towards the high mark, a lot different. This is the kind of re- reality that I, I Bezrat Hashem hope people allow to set into their own hearts and their own minds, their own lives, because people are dying in the world today, believing in JC, but yet they're not experiencing freedom. They're completely living lives in bondage to the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they're living in bondage to the, the slave master of sin and death. So it's just like being stuck in Egypt or that part of the story of Exodus before the sea split. Because, I mean, that was a horrible time. Like people were freaking all the way out. And it was just kind of like, what are we going to do? Well, there is nowhere for us to go. So that's what life is like. If you're a tour breaker and you don't want to be Jewish and you don't want that rabbinic stuff. Like it's it's all wrapped up in there. All right. So we're not going to get to verse 23. But uh, as far as the information Hashem has allowed us to study together, I think it's absolutely amazing. And I've totally just I've enjoyed every moment of of just sourcing these out. So bless be Hashem for his word. So uh, we have about 10 minutes left, so let's go ahead and just see what we can get through. All right. Verse 10, it says, for the Mabit that Mashiach has died, okay, he died to sin once and for all. Now, it says, but, which means, okay, so all of that's true, but the Chaim Mashiach lives, he lives to sin. Is Mashiach dead? No, because if he was, then that's where the sin is. Most people don't ever really teach about the power of the resurrection and the power of life because Mashiach says, I'm the life and the resurrection. I'm not just the death. I mean, that's a part of it. That's the beginning. That's the Mashiach ben Yosef and all that kind of stuff. But there's also Mashiach ben David, the ruling reigning king. We have to understand that it's not just about this death. It's also about the life, which means now that you understand, don't break the Torah and don't like abrogate the will of God in the world and stuff like that. Now that you know that, look at what's over here with the life, the tree of life, the resurrection power of Mashiach, all that stuff says the Chaim Mashiach lives. He lives to Hashem i.e. we now live by our neshama. We live by the Mishnah. The oral Torah of God is where the life and life abundant is. I meant to quote this last week on the Agarit podcast, and I didn't, so I apologize because I got caught up with the whole three days without Torah thing. But I won't this time because I'm going to go straight to it. It says, 
Torah Emet Vechaye Olam. This is from the Siddur. This is our closing bre- blessing that I uh, sing when I say Baruch Atah Adonai. And then I say, Asher Natan Lanu Torah Emet Vechaye Olam Natabetokenu. When I sing that, it says, A Torah of truth, eternal life. Torah of truth refers to the written Torah. Written word of God is true. I hope everybody knows that. It says, and the eternal life, which is the oral Torah, which is the Mishnah, the Neshama, if you rearrange Mishnah, okay? The the part of us that's the fountain of wisdom. We just learned about this, right? Check it out. Says that the oral law is described as implanted within us because Jews constantly expand their Torah knowledge through their personal relationship with Mashiach. I mean, whoa, wait, what? says, no, through their personal study and analysis, which, by the way, is a personal relationship with Mashiach, because those who walk with Mashiach, they constantly learn from him every day. If you're not doing that, you might want to think about your salvation. Okay, but anyway, and it says that... uh, This is the eternal life that's implanted within us. And that's the end of the commentary. So, yeah, so that's the oral, the oral law, the oral Torah, the Mishnah, which is basically the Neshama. It's implanted within us. And we constantly expand our Torah knowledge through our personal study and analysis. And as you're going through your personal study and your analysis, you now line yourself up with Yochanan chapter 17 where Yeshua was letting us know what eternal life is he says and this is eternal life in verse 3 what is the oral Torah it's that you may know the only true God and his Yeshua the Mashiach whom you sent which is every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Father okay so it says that, uh, let's see, verse 11. So also you must reckon yourselves metim to chet, dead to chet, but chayim lehashem ba Mashiach, with Mashiach, Yehoshua, Yeshua, alive to God in the Mashiach, Yehoshua, Yeshua. Therefore, do not let Chet reign in your mortal body to obey its ta'avot, its lustful desires. Do not let your, your ruach and your nefesh dominate your neshama. And do not give Chet control of your natural capacities as neshek weapons of pesha unrighteousness, but present yourselves to Hashem as ones alive from metim, and present to Hashem your natural capacities as neshek of zedek olamin. For chet shall not exercise belut, which is sovereignty. Ownership, dominion shall not be your slave master, 
You shall not be a servant to it. For you are not under the epoch of gazettes, but under the epoch of grace. This is the famous verse. You're no longer under the law, but under grace. And again, which law are we talking about? Which was the law that led to unrighteousness? The law that caused death and the law that pulled you away from God and caused you to be dead. And um, when you look at the look at this verse, I mean, this is one of the biggest verses that's always taken out. It says, for sin shall no longer master you, for you're not under law, but under grace. So literally, if you look at this verse, it says sin shall not master you because you're not under law, but under grace. And remember, there's a law that's at work in our body parts, and that's the law of sin. So therefore, when we really look at you're not under law, but under grace, it's really talking about your ruach and your nefesh. Like you're not under that, but you're under the grace, which is Hashem allowing you to become acquainted with your neshama and giving you the tools and the equipment to, to wreak havoc against your nefesh and your ruach and cause those things to line up and be battalions for the king neshama in your life. Literally making the word of God king in your life and causing your own natural desires. Because again, this verse 13 was so beautiful. It says you're to present your nat natural capacities. The things that you're eating, you're drinking, your cohabitation, your quest for honor and kingship and lordship and pride and glory. You can actually cause that to be used as a weapon to bring about the righteousness of God. And I can tell you, you are a very dangerous person when you do that for the kingdom of darkness. You're a very dangerous person against the kingdom of darkness when you do that. When you can take the very things that you eat, the very things that you drink, the very relations that you have with, you know, between the husbands and wife, the husband and wife, not husbands. So you got, so the marital relations. And when you can take your quest for honor, your quest for glory, lordship and kingship in your life, when you can take those very things and weaponize them to bring about the righteousness of God, that is called a person who the kingdom of darkness is not happy with. So may we all be that type of person, be it very unashamed, and may we all have our body parts, our nefesh and our ruach to be slaved by our neshama, be slaved by the king who is the word of God in our life. Baruch haba b'shem Adonai. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher natan lanu Torah temet, vechaye olam natabetokheinu, Baruch atah Adonai, noten ha Torah, Amen.